welcome to Win the Future, a podcast where we chat with folks who are tackling the most significant challenges our communities face today to make for a better tomorrow. I'm your host, Brett Broster. This is episode two. Today, we're talking about fantasy football. Our guest is Mike Johnson, member of the West Hartford Zoning Board of Appeals and guy fantasy football guru. Welcome to Win the Future. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk a little bit about some of the fun things we've got on tap today, a little bit about online gaming, a little bit of roster baiting, as they call it, when you're talking about your fantasy football roster, the things you like, the things you don't like. Have you ever heard that term? I like it. Yeah. I have. I have. bold. The league? Yeah. Great. Great show. Yeah. I steal a lot from that thunder. Great show. So, Mike, what's the appeal of fantasy football to people? I think it's the common ground that everyone always finds they can relate through fantasy football. It's a short enough season that you're not dealing with the 162 game trog of the MLB. It's not as technical as basketball where you have a million different ways that you could score points. Football is pretty generic. Everyone's got standard scoring. Usually the quarterback gets six points for a touchdown. Usually receiving is PPR, which is points per reception. So it's easy to follow. If you're a novice at it, you're still amazing at it, like March Madness. There's not a lot of skill involved. It's more... I would about say about 80% luck based on the injury list and whose team is doing great. There is a little bit more skill if your league is a keeper league, which means obviously that you can retain a player for a certain period of time. Uh, and there are easy ways to draft. You could do a snake draft, which is where you go in order in usually a 10, 12, or even in a 14 team league, which gets crazy ridiculous, Uh, where you just go in order that way. You could do an auction draft where you assign value to players and you get a fake budget and you have to spend your whole budget throughout the year too. Uh, I do that with baseball as well. But yeah, to to your question, it's just a fun way that you can watch football differently with your friends. And if you're like me where your football team sucks because I'm a fan of the New York Jets, uh, you can actually watch football and have a vested interest. And so I read something where 60 million people play this annually. Holy cow. And it had increased year over year by 15 million people. I mean, do you notice that more and more people are interested in playing? Absolutely. It's actually not even an age gap of uh, being 18 and over, 21 and over anymore. Um, Family leagues are proliferating all over the place. A lot of my cousins play. Uh, We don't have a family league, but I have a lot of friends in my office and other friends that I have that have had family leagues now for like 10 years. So I think it's really easy for a kid who's like 12 years old to kind of understand the dynamics of fantasy football. And if they stink, they learn from a losing season and then hopefully they stop, you know, sucking so bad. And so obviously uh, this kind of lends itself to online gaming. Yeah, definitely. And so with online gaming, do you end up playing a, let's say a DraftKings or a FanDuel or any kind of online gaming program? I do both. There is a significant difference between online gaming in some states and online fantasy. So you're probably familiar mostly with the Supreme Court ruling uh, that came about where legalized online gaming is now allowable if states permit its use. So after that case, which I think probably was from two or three years ago, now states have the ability to mobilize like New Jersey has, like Rhode Island has, like a lot of other states have, where they can mobilize um, things from their home. You could do a brick and mortar online gaming where you get to bet on sports in a facility that's more interactive. Uh, You can allow open competitive process to have anyone perform online gaming. But there's also an aspect 
that is already legal in all 50 states unless your attorney general like New York kind of put the kibosh on it for DraftKings and FanDuel, which is where you lock in a fantasy roster and you're competing against other uh, teams, so to speak, for a one day. That's called daily fantasy sports. Um, So if you're in a daily fantasy sports league, you lock in your roster. And at the end of that round, you either win a pot or you lose a pot based on how much was in it. Got it. So let's go to like apps, right? Where I'm guessing we play fantasy football on ESPN or on Yahoo or I do all the above. Yeah. ESPN and Yahoo are probably the most predominant ones. I do have a lot of friends who actually the NFL has their own fantasy football platform. That's pretty popular. Hmm. Um, and you can customize it a little bit more. Same thing with like CBS sports is another really popular fantasy football platform. But honestly, you can really go to a website and customize it. Uh, whatever kind of scoring you want one year, I even had head coaching was a fantasy football position. And if they won or lost, you know, you got two points or you lost two points. There was a full on mutiny in my fantasy football league. So I had to take that one away. Otherwise, I was going to lose my commissionership, which, you know, can't happen. So I had to unfortunately kind of, you know, defer to my able commissioners to not do that. But in general, it's just a fun way to do it. And daily fantasy football combined with regular fantasy football is another way to kind of jazz up your Sunday. Nice. So in terms of those apps, what do you see the future holding for for those? Like what what three or four trends do you think we'll see in the next five years? It's a great question. I would say for daily fantasy, it's going to get more sophisticated. And the brick and mortar interactive play that we were just talking about will be by the minute. So there's an aspect of online gaming that's called live betting. And what that means is say that you're the batter and I'm the pitcher and you have a history of just crushing my balls, right? Because I throw crap down the middle that you could just knock out of the part, right? So interactively, the system knows that you have an 80% chance of at least getting a hit off of me. So you can reflect the bets that way so that if you're the batter likely to hit one of my pitches, the odds will become favored that you will hit a ball off me. So it won't pay as well. But if the if the odds are that I'll strike you out, you could pay five to one, 10 to one, and that's all interactive happening in real time. Another example is if you're watching basketball and you know that there's a player on the court who's going to get a, a slam dunk at some point at the end of the first half. There's actually odds that you can bet on as to which player is going to get the first dunk. Uh, you can gamble on which player is going to get the first foul. And that all happens in real time as the game progression uh, starts. And I think that AT&T and Verizon in particular have done a really cool job when they market 5G. They talk about online gaming and they talk about um, live sports betting happening in arenas, happening in these brick and mortar casino facilities. Uh, and with that 5G technology, you're now able to process all that data in real time and it doesn't flood the network. Interesting. So if we talk about online gaming in the sense of how it relates to municipalities or states that are suffering from not bringing in enough revenue and therefore tax revenue can be generated by letting online gaming take place, how does Connecticut differ from other states? Right now, Connecticut does not have an official platform for online gaming. So if it exists, it's happening outside of state regulatory rules. It's happening either across uh, borders into other states or it's happening in other countries. So what's important to remember is the state gets absolutely no revenue for a bet that you're placing on online gaming because it's not being hosted or regulated by the state. A comparative example would be when Uber and Lyft came into Connecticut uh, roughly about five years ago, 
and you started to get rides, there was no revenue being taken out of that going to the state or municipality. There were no regulations as to how the drivers were going to be regulated. Uh, but those laws were eventually written to the books. And now it is a very um, growing, well-regulated market. But the, also the important thing to remember, too, with online gaming is there are different versions of what revenue is going to be available to the consumer and what revenue is going to be available to the state and the actual entity hosting the platform. So what, what does that really mean? It means what's the cut, right? What is the state eventually going to get from each wager that's placed and won? And who's going to be able to kind of hold the title, so to speak, to offer that ability for that consumer to, you know, enter in a wager or bet? We'll be right back. We just have to go to a word from our sponsor and we'll get back to your conversation here with Mike Johnson, West Hartford resident, member of the West Hartford Zoning Board of Appeals. Yes, and that's right. ZBA, baby. All around great guy, fantasy football guru. We'll be back. Hey, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by A Better Campaign. We're a strategic communications firm that works with businesses, nonprofits, and candidates to reach the right people, influence their opinions and behavior, and sway them to act effectively. If you're interested in advertising with this podcast, please reach out to me, Brett Broster, at Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at abettercampaign.com. Once again, that's Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at abettercampaign.com. We offer competitive rates, and we'd love to work with you. Thank you, and enjoy the show. And we're back again here with Mike Johnson, West Hartford native. Not native. Whoa. <laughs> Time out. Weehaw. Weehaw.com almost West just blew resident. up right there. <laughs> West Hartford resident for about six years. Uh, yes. Originally from Long Island, New York. Uh, went to college at Sacred Heart University in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, and then worked on a couple of uh, campaigns after that, and now live, work, learn, play in West Hartford. Nice. And a uh, big fan of the grape. Yes. Shout huge out grape. fan of the grape. Oh, my gosh. Thank God COVID has not uh, succumbed the pressure of the grape. Uh, and it's been actually doing very well in safe distancing and mass wearing and all that. It's nice. very important. The grape, a uh, an establishment in Fairfield? Yes. Very, very high. Uh, there were actually a lot of rumors over the summer that Bradley Cooper was living in Fairfield. I think they've since been debunked by the Connecticut Post, but... Uh, for a while, there were rumors that Bradley Cooper, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Johnny Depp were caught at the grape uh, enjoying a Sunday fun day, wow. uh, which was pretty amazing. I think what ended up being the truth that was kind of lost in the shuffle of, you know, everyone was staying at home, being isolated and needed a fun story to tell was that Bradley Cooper apparently was visiting a friend in Fairfield for the weekend. And the rumor kind of grew that not only was he doing spin class at 6 a.m. at the uh, spin cycle facility in, in Southport, but that he was actually living with people full time uh, on the beach just to get out of New York City. I think he has a place close to our friend JP over by Washington Heights, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So fantasy football, who is the most undervalued fantasy football player this year? I know I was getting so excited talking about Bradley Cooper. I now have to switch Understood. gears back no, to it. I, I, I was apologize. thinking about, you know, all, all the fun uh, gossip I could tell about him. Running backs carry such a premium. Obviously, we just lost Christian McCaffrey for the season, Saquon Barkley. So there is a guy, but first name escaping me, but last name is Scott on the Eagles. Uh, they are playing tonight on Thursday Night Football by the time we're recording this podcast. He has been a very top pick right now. Uh, and I think if the Eagles have any sort of running game, it's going to revolve around him if he doesn't get hurt. Um, so that's one to you know, attract your radar to. I would say... McKinnon for the 49ers is going to be another rising star, uh, depending on how long Moser is going to be out. 
Um, he's been picked up, including by me, in a ton of leagues. So people have their eyes on him. I think in terms of wide receivers, when you're looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, you're seeing Joe Burrow be such an incredible passer, and he's spreading the ball around so much. It's a race between Boyd and Higgins, uh, and even now A.J. Green is kind of stepping into the fold as well as to who's going to be the dominant receiver in Cincinnati. So that's kind of a fun one to watch, too. Similarly to when you had Roddy White and Julio Jones on the Falcons. Uh, I know I saw that smile like you were a proud Roddy oh, yeah. White owner at some point. <laughs> Definitely. Fantastic. Um, and that, I mean, you could start both of them in your lineup and you were doing great, right? Because they were the, the greatest show on turf, I think, right after Marshall Falk kind of comment, uh, coined that phrase. But then, um, you know, there are other teams like the Minnesota Vikings have, uh, I think his name is Jeffries and then Adam Thielen. Uh, you can pretty much start them in both of your games and, and do fairly well. I made that mistake not starting him last week and he had like 43 points on my bench, of course. Um, but yeah, there are a bunch of really cool dynamics. What about you? Do you find like there's any player out there in particular that you think is being undervalued or they're kind of the inverse of that is, do you think that there are any players that are just so overhyped and th- that you just roster them, they're going to be good and people are giving them too much credit? So I think Alshon Jeffrey is a big pickup. Oh, me. your boyfriend, Alshon <laughs> Jeffrey. You have had a man crush on Alshon Jeffrey for your entire fantasy sports career. I'm a career. fan. I'm yeah. a fan. Um, I tend to think Antonio Brown is coming back. I am not this a season? fan of him in terms of his antics. Yeah. However, I tend to think that he is going to be an asset to a fantasy football team near the end of the season. Would be. At least for a game until he's out. Of, if there's out of one game. thing in a presidential cycle that would halt the news and finally get us to stop talking about debates, it would be Antonio Brown re-entering football. That would be the most blockbuster of all blockbuster moves to just stop the news and have people focus on something else other than the presidential race. If that were true, where would he be going though? Seattle. Wow. Which would be also really amazing because yeah. you've got to compete with Lockett and Metcalf. That would well, be then, really cool. And then they have Josh Gordon who they have. The I rights forgot to they had Josh Gordon. Yeah. Wow. You're really digging in the weeds there. I really oh, yeah. like it. No, I'm good. I'm getting into it. Yeah. Pacific Northwest guy. I didn't even know this about you. I also have to compete with my beautiful wife, who is a better fantasy football player than me. She is truly incredible at fantasy football. And she does have her uh, loyalties to a fault. Uh, Duke Johnson, namely, has Duke. been on there for a while. Uh, we give Jess a little bit of crap about that because she uh, liked Duke Johnson, I think, only for two seasons. But, you know, it's like the Alshon Jeffrey thing with Brett. You just have to keep hammering it home. <laughs> Uh, but he's a survivor. He's like Frank Gore. He's probably, you know, an ARP card member and he's still rushing for 50 yards a game and getting catches. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Right? But Antonio Brown yesterday at around 4 p.m., the news broke that Seattle's very interested in him. That's incredible. And he's likely to come back once his suspension is done after week eight. Right. We'll see. I think also the funny thing about when you're looking at fantasy football and what its impact is going to be in relation to team drama, we obviously know the Las Vegas Raiders have been over the years kind of the butt of all jokes after the Antonio Brown debacle, but also before that with uh, Marlon Mack being traded uh, over to the Bears. Um, Actually, I don't think that was Marlon Mack. I was thinking of someone else, but there was that defense player uh, for the Raiders that was really good that was traded over to the Bears. Um, And in general with John Gruden, getting that insane amount of money to leave the anchor desk of Monday Night Football to go coach, you know, the the, the almost said Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders um, was really interesting. But they're actually having a pretty good year. And I think 
you know, Carr has been a pretty able quarterback. Uh, obviously, they have an immense running game, so they have to keep that up. And I think they're going to be a fun team to watch overall. Yeah. And Hunter Renfro is playing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Clemson, man. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Mike, anything else fantasy football related that you want to add? I definitely think that fantasy football is going to get into live settings more. And I think even though the best part about fantasy football that we just talked about is, you know, the generic scoring is easier to follow. I think we're going to see a lot more sophisticated version of the game start to progress. And I think as online gaming especially starts to pick in, you're starting to see things on TV that you never saw before, right? You never used to see a no-name running back uh, get recorded for having five catches. Now the anchors on Sunday football know that people want to know that information for their fantasy leagues. So I think you're going to have a lot more data being shared and be much more interactive with smart TVs and other capabilities that people will have uh, when they're watching and betting on games. Interesting. So you see, in terms of the future of football, obviously we have, in ter- in, in a, from a viewer perspective, we've got Red Zone, which is incredible. Great, amazing invention. But to your point, it seems like it's going to become only more research-driven in terms of the viewer wanting more data. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you don't have to get all money ball on it in terms of baseball comparatively to football because baseball is such a metric sport. But I do think that there is a lot of truth to the fact that the, the person watching football wants to know more about the player. And I think that eventually what's going to happen is instead of the flashing of scores and then a couple catches, you could have a constant ticker like CNBC does for stocks that just constantly streams data. And why can't you, for instance, rank the top performing players at all times during the day? So for instance, if you were to do top 10 running backs, top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 tight ends, top 10 wide receivers, and you could see who those high performers are on the side while not distracting the overall view of the game. I think especially now uh, with so many cameras that are being made available, and if there's only one positive being taken out of no fans being there, it's that they're getting more uh, into the experimentation of how the camera angles are looking because they have more options available to them. Uh, so I think that that's going to be something that we definitely see change over the course of time. Interesting. So one last piece here, if you don't mind. We we had a chat offline about how <clears throat> when the major online sports betting entities, the, the DraftKings, the FanDuel, when they're lobbying, they'll have different star athletes go and talk about how a certain percentage of what what ends up being brought in for revenue should go to the to the league. Can yep. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um when the legislature started to hear uh, in all states from the MLB, the NBA, the NFL namely, um and even believe it or not, fantasy hockey has been a thing more recently. Um they started to take in veteran athletes to talk about what's called the integrity fee. Uh, And the integrity fee is something that these leagues are doing sort of as a host fee where they would get a 1% cut of all the revenue that's generated from online gaming. And I think a lot of that comes back to if you're a big podcast fan, there's a great podcast called uh, Whistleblower. And it's about the Tim Donahue scandal uh, that happened in the mid 2000s where there was an NBA ref that was gambling on games that he says he wasn't actually gambling on the games that he was refing. But who can believe something like that after you're caught kind of in a couple of compromising circumstances. So I think in those cases, um, there is that integrity aspect that the leagues are starting to make the case through these veteran athletes to say, if you want to keep the game honest and you want to ensure that people are going to be able to gamble on it while not having in the back of your head, hey, you know, how are you kind of 
turning the the dice, right? How is this being influenced for the person that's betting? How is it being influenced for the person that's hosting the game um, that they should get some sort of integrity fee cut? Got it. Interesting. So any last words you want to give to the audience? You know, thank God we have sports back. It's been so tough just in the months, you know, leading up to the point where we were in now. I think it's almost like an embarrassment of riches where we were in August and September and we were watching the NBA, you know, executing their bubble. We were watching baseball finally back. We were watching football, which we were all holding our breath on and holding back. I know in my fantasy football leagues, we didn't draft until that week because we weren't sure what was going to happen. But I think we finally had something to watch, relate to and unite around. And I think Mike Greenberg from ESPN said it best that there's a lot of serious discussion that happens across the globe about importance. Uh, topics way more important than sports. But he talks about sports because it's the thing that we can all unite around and forget about the stuff that's keeping us down mostly. So it's it's that uniting factor like the Masters is going to be in November this year. I mean, when does that ever happen? Never. You know, so the fact that Augusta National, one of the uh, longest standing golf clubs in the country, has even saw it as a priority to say we have to change for the fans. Uh, I think that's a really great thing. And I think there's a lot of optimism around that. So I'm really excited that uh, sports are back and we figured out a way to make it exist even in COVID. Agreed. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being here. This is a great, no, awesome podcast. I'm looking forward to the rest of the commentary. Thank you for listening to the Win the Future podcast, sponsored by the strategic communications firm, A Better Campaign. Make sure to visit our website at abettercampaign.com backslash win the future. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of Win the Future.